All right. Welcome back to the Create Health podcast with Dr. Ben, having you step into your highest self. Very excited today. Got a super special guest. I've been trying to get her on for a while here. She's got a very packed schedule, but I'm super excited. Um, she is many things. I'm going to list them all they make as I can think of off, but I'm probably going to miss a few. Uh, she is a naturopathic doctor. She is a licensed acupuncturist. She is a power lifter. She is a dog mom, uh, and probably some other things. And of course, all powered by plants, super excited. And I'm probably gonna say her name wrong. Dr. Sarah Cashdan yep. on the podcast today. Yep. You got it. My patients call me Dr. K. We go with that. Okay. Yeah. I just go by Dr. Ben. One syllable is just, just the easy way to go. All of my old patients, they like to call me Dr. Sarah, but aside from that. <laughs> okay. So excited to have you on today. Um, and you know, there's so much, there's so much I want to know. Um, but first just tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what you're up to these days and, and, um, where you're practicing, what you're doing. Yeah. So, um, I'm a naturopathic doctor, an actual registered licensed one. Um, and an acupuncturist, and I have a private practice in Fort Collins, Colorado. So I get to live in the Rocky Mountains. Um, most importantly, you list that I'm a dog mom. My dog is in the background if he comes over and says hello. <laughs> um, really busy patient schedule. I see a lot of the things that you see, um, complicated, you know, complex metabolic disease. I also do a lot of environmental health um, mold. I see a ton of mold. So I always like to mention that. Um, in my spare time, whatever that is, um, I do train for powerlifting. I do compete and I actually have a meet coming up, coming up in March. So I'm kind of working my way towards that. And I also like to play in the outdoors, go hiking, all of that fun stuff that we do in Colorado. Cool. Cool. Wow. You got, you got a heck of a lot going on. So yeah. I'm just curious about the Genesis. Cause I know we, we both grew up in Massachusetts and we we're talking about that. And I think I remember hearing at one time, it's like th there's some interesting stuff that's happened in your past. Like as far mm -hmm. as I think at one point, like you had a cancer diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I think at one point you were like trying to get into vet school, like mm -hmm. dial it back for me, like, you know, back to um, back to the, the origin story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm originally from Boston. Um, I definitely have a East Coast personality. Uh, I'm very, you know, blunt and honest and tell you how it is. So <laughs> take it or leave it. Um, and I had always wanted to go to vet school because I love animals. It's a big reason why I'm vegan. Um, and I had always kind of geared my activities and my schooling towards going to vet school. And um, I had been, you know, my undergraduate is in evolutionary bio and ecology. I worked as a vet tech for many years. Um, I eventually decided to move out to Colorado because I was bored of the East Coast and wanted something different. And I always want, and I also wanted to establish residency to get into vet school out here at CSU. Um, so I moved out to Colorado and I actually lived in my car for a little while because I didn't have a job or a place to live and I didn't know anybody here. So I had, I went through my, you know, homeless stage for a little bit. Uh, was um, this in the summer, in the winter, like... How long? This was this was like early spring before I I didn't know that spring in Colorado means you're gonna get dumped on with snow so I came out here in early spring and I lived in my car for I think three or four months um my parents still don't know about that so please don't tell them um <laughs> and eventually I found um, a vet tech job and I found an apartment 
Um, and I actually ended up working at the CSU vet school in their diagnostic lab for a while. Um, tried to get into vet school. I had applied for a few different years, just couldn't get in. It's really competitive. Um, so I went and I did a master's degree at CSU in um, environmental health and toxicology, uh, thinking that that would help bolster my resume to kind of get me into vet school. So I did my master's degree. I actually really liked it. Um, and then I applied to vet school again. I just like couldn't get in. I was like, this is ridiculous. So um, I was kind of like, the toxicology? The, um, tell me about that program. It sounds like you just yeah. Did so it was um it was geared a little bit more towards veterinary toxicology just because it's one of the feeder degrees into um the vet school. But we also did a lot of like parasitology. Um, we did like forensic toxicology. Um, all sorts of different things. I really liked it. Um, and I didn't think at the time it would become as applicable as it is today. I use my toxicology knowledge all the time. Um, I did have a fair amount of pharmacology during that degree, so that was the first time I really got to learn all about the, you know, the pharmacology drugs and things like that. Um, so it was a really, actually a really great program. Um, I did my, um, my master's thesis in um, cadmium toxicity um, and exposures and how that affects our bones. So I did a lot that of lab work. Ouch, yeah. ouch disease. What? You call that ouch, ouch disease? Or ouch, ouch, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, looking at heavy metals and things like that. So it was really good. Um, and I enjoyed it and, but yeah, I still couldn't get into vet school. So, um, I had kind of like a, you know, come to Jesus moment with myself and I was like, something is blocking my ability to get into vet school for as well educated as I am for as many extracurriculars as I have for as many people as I know, something is blocking me. And so I just did a complete turn and I decided, well, I'm going to go um, get certified to teach yoga. I think a lot of us go through our, I'm going to go teach yoga phase. How I'm old gonna... are you at this point? I was in my, gosh, mid-20s, I think, um, is when I finished my toxicology degree. And then I just started to go into teaching yoga. So I kind of like left the lab aside. I left academics aside for a little bit. I went into my yoga teaching phase. And so I did that, did my teacher training. I started um, teaching. And then in 2012, I had been teaching full-time several classes a week. And I started to feel like kind of run down. I was losing some weight, which I was like, well, I'm active, right? Um, I just felt like a little off, but I didn't really think much about it. And then as that year went on, I started to feel even more sick, less like really run down, like kind of bloated, um, but still losing weight. And so I went to the doctor and they're like, it's you're probably just like anxious or you have like an eating disorder, like as they do, as we know, <laughs> as we know now, this is how it goes. Super dismissive. Um, I don't even think that they did any lab work the first time I saw them. I think they offered me like an antidepressant and like that was it. Um, and then after that, I continued to just kind of like decline a little bit, but it was really like nonspecific and there wasn't anything really pronounced, but I knew that I didn't feel good. Um, and so I had seen another doctor and they, these were all male doctors, by the way. And, so, um, and just, just so I, I understand, you said, yeah. you notice you lose weight. You just, so the mm -hmm. only thing you notice we're losing weight and feeling run down and you couldn't. Yeah. Like, feeling run down and like bloated, but also losing weight. So like bloating was one for me. And like now knowing where we're going to get to, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but they were kind of subtle, right? They were, nothing was horribly off, except I knew that something was wrong. You're um, mid-20s at this point. Mid-20s, so. yeah. Okay. Um, so, so I continued to feel worse. And then I'd gone to another doctor and it was the same experience where it's just like, you know, it's your hormones, or you have an eating disorder. It's just like the 
nonsense garbage that they throw at you. And I was like, whatever. Were you off of birth control at any point? I had been on birth control when I was much younger, but I never liked it. And I never went back on it. So I was not on birth control. But they didn't throw that out at you. as They probably did. They probably did. I think I've repressed a little bit about all of that experience. But all (laughs) I know is that I was not given the care or taken seriously. Um, They really just thought I had had an eating disorder. That's what they thought. And I was like, that is not, it's not what it is, gosh. So, so kind of like towards the end of that year, I woke up um, in the middle of the night with like a really sharp, sharp stabbing pain, kind of like in my abdominal area. And it was radiating to my back. Um, and I thought it was a kidney stone because I've had those before. Um, so I drove myself to the emergency room because I'm stubborn and I don't want to ask for help. Um, and so did some bunch of imaging and a bunch of tests and they found um, a tumor on one of my ovaries. And I was like, thank you. I knew something was there the whole time. Um, so I had ovarian cancer and that's, you know, it was scary at the time, but also it felt really validating because I knew something was wrong with me. Um, so kind of like after being evaluated there, um, you know, the different courses of action were, you know, one to, you know, go in and biopsy and see what it was, um, to maybe take it out to maybe do radiation or chemo. I just didn't know. So what had what was going to happen was I was going to go in and they were going to go do a laparoscopic to take a sample and see what it was. But what happened is that um, the tumor started to turn. And so my ovary torsed. Um, And so I ended up going in for, which is like the most God awful pain. I don't have kids. I don't plan to have kids, but I imagine it probably feels like that. Um, So my ovary torsed and then I had emergency surgery to take it out. Um, so for our non-doctors, non-sciencey people, torsed means yes. like twisted? Yeah, torsion just means like it twists. Um, and so when um, uh, when the ovary twists, um, that's a definite a medical emergency. Um, it cuts off the blood supply. It can, you know, you can lose the ovary anyways. Um, so the whole ovary, not just the tumor on the ovary twisted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay. what they did is they took out the entire right ovary because um, it was on the right side and they biopsied it. Um, and it was a really weird tumor um, that is more common in women in their 50s and 60s. Um, pretty low grade, but they still wanted to do like the radiation and the chemo and all of that. And I didn't want to do that. Um, having all of my toxicology knowledge and learning about chemotherapeutics, I was like, I don't, I don't want to do that in my body. Really? Mm-hmm. I knew enough to that. I was like, I'm not interested in that. Um, do you think that, I, and I'm just curious because like, like you study that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think that most people who like went through that schooling or had that knowledge would arrive at the same conclusion? Cause it sounds like if you're studying it, you're kind of learning it as if this is a good thing. I, yeah, um, that's a good question. And I don't have a great answer for that. I can see that a lot of my classmates have gone into veterinary school or they've gotten into dental school. Like they end up in some sort of medical degree. And I would say generally though, now that you asked me this question, I think they tend to be a little bit more shy against um, a lot of the, the drugs out there. Um, again, this came more from like a veterinary standpoint when we were learning them, but as I'm thinking about my classmates, I don't think they were as interested in drugs. Okay. So they'd be shy about doing them or shy about not doing them? uh, Shy about using them. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So at this point, go ahead. So at this point, you're like, I kind of know that's not a bad idea, but do, mm-hmm. do you have a concept of a route you want to go down or, or what happens here? No, I, I didn't yet. And so this kind of gets, this is like the inception of like what brought me down the path of where I am now is um, after having the surgery taken out or the ovary taken out, um, I was in a lot of pain from the laparoscopic procedure because the gas goes up to your shoulders. 
Um, so I was really uncomfortable and, and I was still not sure about what route I wanted to go down. And so I went inside and I saw an acupuncturist for pain. I'm sorry, wait, wait, wait. the gas goes up to talk to wh- So like what? when they inflate the abdomen, when they do lapar- rap- laparoscopic procedures, sometimes that gas will kind of travel upwards. It can cause some really like yucky shoulder pain. So it's like, it's in the. In the abdominal cavity. Okay. And yeah. It can, okay. And it can just. Yeah hit the whole mediastinum. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's really uncomfortable. So, um, and I was just in pain from like having surgery and I had never had anything like that in my life. So, um, so I saw an acupuncturist, you know, because I knew about acupuncture, you know, from a veterinary standpoint, but I had never received it um, myself. And I thought that that would be a great way of like maybe some pain management while I was trying to figure out all the other stuff. And to, you, you know, never- be- You'd never been a human patient of acupuncture. I had not been. No, I had not been. I mean, I knew a little bit about it. You know, when you're in the yoga world, it's like kind of everyone's like, oh, my acupuncturist or energy work and things like that. So I definitely had a concept of, you know, energy and I was into that kind of stuff. Um, So I went and I saw an acupuncturist and um, she like felt my pulses and poked around, you know, pressing on various points. And she asked me um, if I had ever had like a traumatic event before, you know, for you know, something in my past. And I was like, why? And uh, she said, well, you know, I'm wondering if, because now that I know magic, acupuncture is magic and I totally get it. But um, I was like, why, how do you know this? And she's like, I can feel it. And that was the first time that like in this conversation that I had with her that, you know, the cancer manifestation for me, I really think was from a past traumatic event that I hadn't dealt with, that I'd never talked about, that I never processed. And it just, there it was. Um, and after, you know, working with her and her making those connections that really brought home to me, the concept of, you know, the mind body. And I knew that through like through yoga and things like that, but I didn't like internalize it and really understand it. And that just like blew my world open. I was like, oh my God, there's so many other ways of understanding the body. And I was like, from then I was hooked. I was like, what is this magic? How do I get into this? Um, and that was kind of what brought me into, you know, like the natural world, the natural medicine, acupuncture, things like that. So you got relief from, from working with her. Yeah, I did. I did not just physically, but I like, again, that, that understanding of, you know, that true deep mind body connection was so like, it exploded my brain. And I'm like, I can't unsee that now. Um, when I see other patients that come into my clinic. And, and I'm just curious, and I want to respect your privacy with this, mm-hmm. but you mentioned there'd been a traumatic event in the past. Yeah. And I'm sure people are listening or like, yeah. you know, I want to know more. Can you at least give some? Yeah, no, that's like fine. How- I don't, I'm okay talking about it. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, so it was a sexual assault um, from when I was much younger. Um, it was how I lost my virginity. So it was like super traumatic. Um, and I, I just never talked about it. Um, I think, you know, being a child of, you know, the 80s, we weren't quite there yet. Um, when it comes to talking about our mental health. So, um, so I just had never talked about it and I thought I'd like, I literally had stuffed it down and not dealt with it. And I walled it off and it turned out it walled off. And I really believe this, like it walled off as, as cancer. And it makes, to me, it makes so much sense. And like, once I really started to understand that and like started to work through like my own mental health stuff, like I physically felt better. Like I didn't need, you know, any pharmaceutical drugs. Like I didn't end up doing radiation or chemo. I didn't do any of it. Um, and I've been fine since. So they basically just excised the entire tumor to biopsy it. And yep. then you just went down this holistic path. Yeah. And it was just I, like, just, I took was... a different turn. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It was a wild ride. <laughs> yeah. So, so this was kind of the kickoff point. You're mm-hmm. like, wow, this woman was right. Like, mm-hmm. oh my God. 
Mm-hmm. You know, what I've been suspecting in the back of my mind for all this time is true. Mm-hmm. Where do you go from there? Yeah. So, you know, after working with her, you know, she introduced me a little bit into like, oh, there are these you know people called naturopathic doctors. There's natural medicine out there because I didn't really know anything about natural medicine aside from acupuncture. Right. Um, so I started to look into that. Um, I have a friend here in Fort Collins. He's the one who actually hired me into his practice. Um, and I knew him through, um, another uh, yoga teacher. So I started talking to him, um, about what it's about. Um, around this time is when not from him, but I started, this is when I went vegan, um, as kind of like post cancer care, because once I kind of made this mind body connection and understood that there is a different way of understanding the body, I went and to my own research about, oh, well, like maybe I can heal my body through food or maybe I can heal my body through something else. Um, And I went down the vegan route because that felt the best to me, especially as much as I love animals. And I never turned back because I feel I've always done really well with it. Um, So that's where that started. And then, you know, after talking to my friend, that's where I learned about naturopathic medicine, how you go about, you know, becoming um, licensed to do that. And then I ended up in school and, now here I am. <laughs> okay. And the school wasn't in Colorado though. It was. Mm-mm. Yeah. The school. So I went to school in Portland, Oregon, which, and I'm just going to say as an East coaster was really hard for me because it's not my, it's not my place. Um, but I went to school, I did a combined doctorate of naturopathic medicine. And also I did my master's of Chinese medicine and acupuncture at the same time, which separately are about four to five years each. Um, I did both of them in six. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> On top of living in a city that you didn't vibe with. Exactly. Yeah. It was it was a rough six years of my life. I'm not going to lie. But I would come back to Colorado during breaks and get the sunshine and see my people. So. Okay. So mm-hmm. definitely had that whole experience in the beginning of like, just kind of getting no one really listening, no one really paying attention mm-hmm. until it's like, oh. Really? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, what, you know, I, I, a lot of people that I talk to on social media and a lot of people reach out to me, you know, have this experience of just basically getting shuffled around, be, being essentially marginalized, being told, oh, it's in your head, it's anxiety, it's, you know, and I'm sure that like the more of a minority you are, whether that's a woman or, you know, an, an ethnic minority, it's even worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you just kind of talk a little bit more about, and I know you said you're oppressed a bunch of it, but like, just your experience of like going through the mainstream medical system and what that was like. Yeah. I mean, the, the word I use all the time is disempowering, right? It's like, you know, you have these people who are these quote unquote authorities, um, on, on medicine. Right. And, you know, at least in the way that I grew up, like we grew up, like you trust doctors, right. And there's that power dynamic. And now I feel like a lot of that has changed, but you know, it was like doctor is, is higher. Right. And you're down here. Um, they know more about you than you do. Um, what they say is gospel, right? And so I felt like at that time, like I had knowledge, but I didn't know how to advocate for myself. Um, and so kind of going through that experience and just feeling like dismissed, not heard, not believed. Um, and, you know, hearing that enough times where I felt like, wow, like maybe I am crazy. Like maybe I am making this up. You know, you kind of like become that story that you're told. Um, it was awful. And, you know, part of the reason of becoming a doctor was I don't want people to go through that experience or I want them to have an alternative to that experience. And, you know, like other people who go through something like this, not everyone is going to go 
spend six years in Portland, Oregon and be a doctor. But for me, I had such a fire in me after I really understood what had happened that I was like, I have to do this differently than what I was given because it was, it was such a bad experience. And, you know, had I gone through, you know, radiation and chemo, like had I done all of that, I don't know where I would be today. I don't know what that would have done to my body or my mind. Crazy, mm -hmm. crazy. So, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, school was a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and I think in some ways for me, and, and I'm just sharing my experience and I'd, I'd like to hear yours. It was like 80 to 90% of what I was learning was just to pass some board exam. And I didn't mm -hmm. really feel like it was ever going to be of that much value to me. Mm -hmm. There were some cool things I learned. Mm -hmm. um, but what was your experience in regards to that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, there are certainly classes that I was like, this is garbage. I don't need this. Um, I think, you know, being in clinical practice now, there's so much that I didn't learn in school and so much that I've had to learn since being in school. But what I think was the value of being in that program was learning how to think differently, to look through a different lens, to understand a different therapeutic order. Um, and so like really the philosophy aspect of it, both on the naturopathic side and the Chinese side, that I feel like was the most valuable for me. And then, you know, how I use that is just been in clinical practice and continuing education and seeing patients. Tell me more about that, like mm -hmm. philosophy wise, what, what, what summarize? Yeah. So similar to probably how you practice, you know, we look through a therapeutic order lens where, you know, in, in opposition, the allopathic conventional world, their whole, you know, spiel is let's suppress it. Let's get rid of it. Let's, you know, push it into the system. Let's ignore it. Right. Whereas, you know, the therapeutic order of naturopathic medicine is, well, let's focus on the foundations of health. Let's remove these obstacles to cure. Let's maybe work on your structure, your lifestyle, things like that, maybe add in a supplement. And then, you know, if things get to a point where you need to have a higher level intervention, then fine. But you have to start with the basics. And that's all I do. I joke all the time. I'm the most basic ND ever. I just like, I go to the very foundations and like, yes, sometimes I have to go up the therapeutic order. But if you are building on a faulty foundation, which is essentially what conventional medicine does, um, it just doesn't work as well. So I learned how to think um, and I learned how to see a little bit more clearly. And granted, you know, NDs, we all have different um, ideas and feelings about different things. But I think in terms of being able to to look differently and think differently that I felt was really valuable in school. So how did the um, toxicology education, did you feel like that prepared you or like gave you like, what perspective did that bring? Yeah. So like I said, that is where I first started, started um, studying pharmacology. So, you know, understanding again, where I know we're probably going to get into like big pharma stuff, but like really understanding drugs um, was helpful and not just from like a therapeutic standpoint, but also, also from like a, a toxic standpoint, really. Um, it taught me how to read research, especially around things like that. Um, and then also on the flip side of that, because, you know, that program included, um, you know, parasitology and more advanced genetics and biochemistry and um, environmental health. Um, for me, it helps to add another layer into what am I thinking when I'm coming up with a list of ideas of what's going on with a patient. So it just gives it gives me a much higher level way of thinking um, than I think other other NDs who don't have that education have. Yeah, I'll tell you, I mean, I had to take a, a, a toxicology, pharmacology class in chiropractic school, and it was like the bare fundamentals of just like, this is how a blood pressure drug works. This mm -hmm. is how a beta blocker works. This is how, a, you know, a, a statin works. And it was like, whoa, mm -hmm. like that's, 
that's not good. Yeah. Like, yeah. My education was, like, was far, far more in depth and understanding like, okay, like if they're doing like a clinical trial, like what are, you know, like all the, the methodologies in there, like what is legitimate? How do you read that? How do you interpret it? How do you understand it? And I will tell you that MDs, conventional docs, and even a lot of like functional medicine people just don't have that background. So I do have that. And I feel like I work very well with understanding pharmaceuticals when my patients come on them or come to me with them. So so talk to me now, obviously, you know, you've, you've been on the other side of the system, you got, you know, another perspective from this other practitioner, you go to learn, you go into practice, you know, and you mentioned like, you know, that the therapeutic order you go at now, but what's, what's it like to, to, you know, be a new patient with Dr. K and what's that mm -hmm. process that you're taking people through, you know, when they're, when they're coming to see you for the first time? Great question. Um, so my my initial visit is an hour and 15 minutes, which is always surprising to people because they're used to the seven to 15 minute tops experience. Um, and so, you know, when I when I see them, yes, I'm going to ask them about their current concerns because I care about those. But then I'm going to ask them literally all of the everything else. So I want to know about, you know, there's their sleep, their cycles, if they have them, their, you know, their exercise, all of their, you know, um, different systems. I ask everything. I ask about past environmental exposures. I ask about their mental health. I ask everything. Um, and then I also give them an opportunity to tell me, like, what am I missing? Like, what am I not asking that you think is important for me to know? Or what have you talked about with other doctors that they did not listen to or didn't have time to, to have that conversation? Um, so I try to be really thorough and I get a lot of feedback from my patients of like, wow, you covered a lot. <laughs> um, so I listen to everything. Um, and then depending on, you know, what's going on, sometimes I'll run lab work, sometimes I won't, sometimes we'll dive into treatment, sometimes we won't. I just don't know um, until I hear someone's story what I'm going to do, um, which sounds like I don't know what I'm doing. But I find that, and you probably understand this too, that, you know, the answers will come to you when you talk to patients, right? It becomes very clear if you're thorough in your investigation, what areas you need to work on. Um, and so I, I just kind of give them, you know, here are my thoughts, here's some labs that might be helpful. Otherwise let's just dive in, um, you know, or I've seen this so much. I probably already know what this is. So let's spend your money on, you know, good food or getting a gym membership or whatever it is. Right. Um, so I'm pretty thorough. I feel like I'm pretty pragmatic. Um, I'm not one of those NDs who's going to spend my patients, you know, thousands of dollars on testing. That's not my style. Um, you know, I want to get them better and I want, I want to get rid of them. Like I tell my patients all the time, I don't want to see you long-term because I want you to get better. I want you to feel like you know what you need to do for your health and only come see me if you need to, which is maybe a terrible business strategy, but from like a moral standpoint, it feels really good. <laughs> Well, it sounds like it's a good business strategy because it sounds like you're always booked to the guild. It's true. It's true. I am booked. I'm very, very busy. Mm -hmm. And most of my patients are word of mouth, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. It's it's uh, I, I think that's awesome. Mm -hmm. So um, one thing I, you know, we, we have so many things we want to talk about. I know. <laughs> um, you know, the mold thing, the environmental mm -hmm. toxicity is something mm -hmm. I hear a lot about. I read a lot about. And honestly, you know, it's something I've never like formally educated myself in. Mm -hmm. um, I know that there's like just a lot to unpack there. There is. Um, and what's interesting is, um, you know, as people who listen to this know, I do I like to work with a lot of autoimmune because that's mm -hmm. what I struggled with. Um, and there's one 
person who's particularly famous in the autoimmune world because she cured her autoimmune disease with the lion diet. Oh, uh, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> okay. Well, it's, it's a variant of the carnivore diet. Oh, oh, okay. Gotcha. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And, um, what's interesting now is that everything's back and mm -hmm. she's saying, oh, it's because of mold. Mm hmm. Interesting. Um, you know, I, I don't know what to think. Uh, but there's going to be people who just dismiss it as like mold's kind of one of those things that it's it's rather novel. Mm -hmm. So it gets dismissed as this like fringe thing of like mm -hmm. people that are just essentially um, what's the word? Uh, hypochondriacs mm -hmm. like imagine mm -hmm. that they have. And there's this enabling mm -hmm. doctors who tell them it's mold. It's mold. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so I think it's one of those things that it's probably 10 to 20 to 30 years out of being recognized by mainstream medicine as. Oh yeah. I, I can't get any convent, even like pulmonologists, like nobody, I can't get anybody to listen to my patients about mold. Not a single one. Um, so, so can you give us kind of the overview of like what it is, where it came from? Because I know that 20 years ago, I don't think anybody was talking about it. Mm -hmm. How did it kind of appear out of nowhere? What is it, you know, and, and what is, what is, like, how do you know if you have it? And then how do you, what do you do if you do have it? Yeah. Great question. Um, so in terms of the history and like, why are we just knowing, like, why are we thinking about it now? I can't really answer that for you. I feel like it's most things where it's, you know, you're not on your radar or, you know, education for doctors is different and we understand it now. So I don't really know the history. That being said, you know, it's a problem, right? I think that there's so much more environmental impact to our health than we really give it credit for. I mean, obviously with like food and stuff in the water, like for sure. Um, but I mean, if you think about it, like, you know, I can say in Colorado, at least that this past year in particular, like tons and tons of rain, lots of hail damage, um, you know, buildings aren't built very well these days they are like crappy materials. Um, and so it's kind of hard to pin down mold cases because unless you th think about it, you're probably going to miss it. And I understand it's one of those things where it's like, everyone's like, oh, everyone has mold and this is a problem for everyone. And that's not true. You know, we all have genetic variations, you know, in terms of like, are we more susceptible or not? What's our toxic burden? What are our other foundations of health? So, you know, we could all be exposed to the same thing, but only some people will get sick and some people won't. But I will tell you that there's a ton of mold. Um, it can be, you know, under carpets and floorboards and HVAC that um, HVAC systems. I see it a lot in um, the kids um, at uh, in the dorms. I see it a lot in elderly housing. Um, and it, the way that it presents is so insidious and it's everywhere, right? So the people who sound like the hypochondriacs, it's because they're having so many symptoms and so many different systems. And unless you understand that there could be an environmental component to it, I can understand why they might sound like that. Um, the testing for mold, I mean, it's, it's there, you know, we look at urinary mycotoxins, but I would not say that there is, you know, amazing testing for mold. Um, I certainly use it, but sometimes I kind of just hear a case. I'm like, oof, I wonder, um, you know, the telltale sign for sure is you feel better when you're out of an environment, you feel worse when you're back in it. Um, and it can affect anywhere and anywhere on the body. It can affect your gut. It can cause like candida overgrowth. So like the people who do like the carnivore thing, what happens is that like essentially they're like starving out the candida or the yeast. Um, and so when they add in like, you know, fruits and vegetables and grains and everything like that, again, if there's still mold in the system and there's still overgrowth of that yeast in the gut, then the problem is still there. Right. So that's why like the carnivore diet is not, it's not the end all be all for that. And I don't, I've never once recommended a carnivore diet. I think it's ridiculous. So, um, and a lion diet, is that what it's called? 
Yeah, That's it's just so like dumb. people need branding, right? So yeah, I was like, gonna say like, what a stupid name. Uh, so, <laughs> um, but I mean, I've seen mold kick out like autoimmune diseases. I've seen mold reactivate um, underlying viral conditions. Um, you know, it's just it's anywhere and anywhere. So, so I go can ahead. I stop you because yeah. I'm curious because, and I'm just asking from a curiosity standpoint. Yeah, yeah. You're mm -hmm. like, hey, sometimes like lab work wise, we can't find it, mm -hmm. but I know that it is that. Mm -hmm. How do you know? Yeah, a lot of it is just really good clinical history, right? Um, but then, you know, but I then how do you, like, you find, they find it in their house or like, because objectively, mm -hmm. how do you arrive at that conclusion is what I'm asking. Yeah, I mean, the best way to, to see if it's there is to look for it, right? To have somebody go in, like, do really good mold inspection to see if it's there. Um, and I've not in their body, in, in the home or the building. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. To have somebody go in and actually look, you know, like I said, like there are tests that can be suggestive of it, but to actually see if it's there, you got to look for it. Um, but if you don't have an inkling to look for it, you're not going to look for it. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just asking, cause it's like yeah. is it in the context of like, you know, cause you could say the same thing about many other disease conditions. Sure. Sure. You say, look for it. You mean. Yeah. Like in the home versus in the body. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And I, you know, the thing with the testing is, you know, sometimes people will, won't have come up for anything, um, but it doesn't mean it's not there. Right. Like yeah. labs are helpful, but they're not the end all be all of diagnosis as we well oh, know. We got to so. have a conversation about that. Right. <laughs> That's a yeah. sidetrack too much, but it's like yeah. the, you know, we can talk about, uh, tell me your perspective, but like the piece of people equate, like, especially people in traditional medicine, equate mm -hmm. piece of paper with the human. Mm -hmm. And it's like, doesn't always work that way. Not at all. Not at all. Labs are not labs are not the end all be all. Um, and I always explain to me to my patients that you know in the conventional med medical world they look at labs to diagnose disease, and I look at labs to optimize health. So I may or may not agree with something obviously being all normal because it's probably not optimal. It's just maybe not pathologic yet that they're seeing. If that makes sense, which I know that makes sense to you. Um, As in, it's not a disease state. You're not in a not disease state, but you're in a suboptimal health state. Yeah. That's how I look at labs. And they really only want to put you back together once you've fallen apart. Yep. Unless you're on like either side of, you know, that green bar, <laughs> then they don't care. So no one's showing up to their MD saying, you know, I feel pretty good, but could you get me better? Exactly. Be exactly. Like, I need to never once you, in you... the history of the world. I think has that happened. So <laughs> oh, I'm sure people have asked, but yeah, they just get met with the fluoride with the fluoride stare. So right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, for sure. So, um, but yeah, I mean, anyways, where are we? Back to mold. I I really do. I do think it's a problem. I don't think it's a problem for everyone, but I do think it's a problem. And I see a lot of mold cases. And like once I get them out, or they get it remediated, and we work on you know optimizing their overall health, people feel a lot better, a lot better. And so, tell me about this because I know you 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 got famous and got on TV. I did had to do a lot of work kind of like yeah. kind of outside of the scope of say what you really do. Cause it's yeah. like tenant landlords and stuff. Yeah. And like, I'm in a weird world right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing too. I think, you know, one of the, the beauties of like what I do and also what you do is like, it's one thing to identify issues within a patient and work with a patient, but it's another thing to really look at the systems that create that environment for patients to get sick in the first place, right? So it's like, you have to go so, so much bigger than just the person sitting in front of you. And for me, at least in the environmental health aspect of things, it's like bringing awareness to it, you know, making sure that, um, 
that you know people understand what is proper and improper inspection and remediation so it's like if you help the systems to be healthier the people will be healthier um which i think is you know if we're really taking a holistic you know approach towards healthcare you have to get out the systems or else nothing changes as you well know <laughs> yeah go big or go home <laughs> yeah although mm -hmm. i feel like to some degree by working at the individual level you can affect the for sure yeah like Okay, I'm drinking this smoothie. What's mm -hmm. in it? Fruits and vegetables, mm -hmm. right? So that that as a consequence of this, right. the farmer needed to go grow these things, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And needed to plant more trees. And yeah. um and so that has an effect on the whole. But yes, I, I agree. For sure. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. the, the you know, it's like the the boundary conditions. Mm -hmm. Um I'm, I'm tripping over my words here, but basically the body is self-healing to mm -hmm. the degree that the environment permits it to be right. so. Right, right. And I always say the old adage, you know, you can't heal in an environment that makes you sick, whether that's in your own body or, you know, the area around you. Um, and so, you know, with something, especially for thinking about like preventative medicine, you know, the more that I can get people's homes safer, then that will prevent them from hopefully, you know, not developing mold illness or whatever other exposures, right? So for me, that's even though I spend a lot of my quote unquote, free time trying to figure out all this stuff. Um, ultimately, if it can even like save a couple people from having to go down this route, then for me, it's totally worth it. So I know you're not just a one trick pony with the mold, but I'm just mm -hmm. super curious. I just have more questions. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, and just to, to, to go over what you already told me, I'm just like red flags that there's mold seems to be like like a bunch of symptoms that don't seem to be related. Mm -hmm. um, what, what other... all systems, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. What else is kicking off your spidey sense that, hey, there might be mold? Yeah, I see a lot of like the histamine intolerance, like mast cell activation syndrome type stuff. Um, I see, um, like I said, autoimmune. I see a lot of the underlying viral, like Epstein-Barr likes to reactivate in the presence of mold. Um, I see a lot of candida overgrowth. So it's like multiple things in multiple systems is kind of on my, you know, my radar. Um, and okay. maybe they're all connected in the sense of being exposed to mold and maybe they're not. Um, okay. I will say as of now, I have never been wrong um, with a mold exposure or a mold case um, because it is so ubiquitous and it's a lot more common than you think it is. Um, okay. Wow. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I just, because I am in this world and I see it so much, it's like, again, it's that lens that I have and I don't think everyone has mold, but when I hear certain things, I'm like, oof, I wonder. So Man, there's so much to unpack here. When did you kind of like, is this something you learned in, in naturopathic school or is this something you like kind of came into like afterwards or when did yeah. it come on your radar as a thing? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. in my, in my master's, you know, it was partially environmental health. So I was aware of that, not necessarily mold, but just aware of, you know, environmental impacts of health. Um, in school, I think we had one lecture about mold from like a mold inspector, um, but it really wasn't until I was in clinical practice and I was like, man, I've got like a bunch of kids from the university who are sick. Like what is happening? Um, and then I've just done my own, you know, continuing education certifications. I mean, I study this stuff all the time, um, cause it's complicated and you asked me, how do you treat it? And it's, again, it's going back to the basics. You know, if someone isn't having regular bowel movements, if they're not sweating, if they can't breathe, like if, the, you know, all of those basic systems, if those aren't working, you have to work on those first, right? Because you have to optimize the body's ability to get stuff out. So I do that. And then depending on how people respond, then I'll add in, you know, 
maybe like an antifungal or like maybe a binder. But again, it's those foundations that have to be in place first, um, which is part of the problem sometimes of why people develop mold illness in the first place, because some of the some of the pathways are just jammed up um, and they're just, you know, accumulating a toxic load in their system. Okay. Okay. Now this is, this makes, this makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same thing. I approach everything the same way. It's like start with the foundations and then see where we get to. But Sarah, people don't want the foundations. I they want know. the magic wands after them. Isn't it, I know it's like the most unsexy med medicine of all time. <laughs> <laughs> But it works. I mean, I would say like, I don't think I bat a hundred. I don't think any doctor does, but I would say I get really good clinical results from a like a vast majority of my cases because this is how I approach it, right? Because if there's a kink in the system, you can, you know, suppress all you want. You can take all the supplements in the world, but it's not going to work, right? Um, and I think people, people just skip the basics and the basics are everything. I'm, I'm right there with you. And, um, I, I feel like I'm always butting my head up against that of people wanting the quick fix, wanting the, well, what supplement do I take to make this go away? And it's like, that's not, and you know, I'm not a super supplement heavy provider. I do use them, but I use them supplementary, right? It's not, <laughs> it's not a replacement, right? <laughs> You know, people are on supplements for years. I'm like, that's not the point. Like, I'll use them short term to get you where I need you to go. And then I'm going to take you off of them. And if you are not, you know, continuing to do well off the supplements, then we need to like, I'm not doing my job, right? Because they're, you know, you can't treat supplements the way you do pharmaceuticals. It just doesn't work the same. At least that's in my philosophy. So that's kind of like that green, you know, allopathy type lens that that people try to practice or like the functional MDs try to just throw you know, 20 supplements at someone. I'm like, no one has a deficiency of 20 supplements. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Let's talk, let's talk a little bit about green allopathy. Yeah. And you and I know what that means colloquially, yep. but can you mm -hmm. kind of break it down for our. Everybody? Yeah. So that's basically using a natural substance like you would a pharmaceutical. So for example, I mentioned antifungals and there is a time and a place for that in a therapeutic order and a protocol, but um, you know, it's using something that is natural to do something like a drug to suppress, to get rid of, as opposed to promote healing, or it's like you have an overt deficiency of something and you're going to cure it with that one thing. And in the short term, that might be helpful, but that is not true healing. It's still just kind of, you know, cruising over the, over the basics and trying to, to fill a hole with a, with a capsule, um, which just, which for a lot of times just doesn't work or it doesn't work long-term and it's a lot of money. And I don't want people spending all their money on supplements at all. I mean, we want people to get results, you know, right. and the last thing we want is them to spend money and not get results. Mm -hmm. But I don't think there's anything wrong with spending a lot of money and getting a lot of results, honestly. Sure. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And like I said, I do use, I do use supplements, but it's not, it's not the way I use them is more of like a systematic approach where I want to optimize a system rather than just like okay, you, here's like one herb for your liver. Like that doesn't, it doesn't do the job, but if you can get your body to do its own job after you give it a nudge, then that's when I use them. Sure. And I'm, and I'm not trying to say that yeah. you're over supplementing. Yeah, I, no, I, I definitely don't over supplement. I probably under supplement. <laughs> and, and I'm of a similar yeah. mentality yeah. and man, there's so many things I want to talk about with you. And this is, I'm really enjoying this conversation. Okay. And I'm like, I have like a bunch of things queued up, but one thing that comes to mind is, and what I love what you're saying, there's this therapeutic order, and I want to get the fundamentals mm -hmm. dialed, which I imagine is like diet, sleep, exercise, 
bowels, gut, for sure. I mean, yeah. you probably know everyone is constipated. So it's like, if you're constipated, like nothing you do on top of that is going to be as useful. So you got to get the gut moving first. Sure. And, and so, so then of course, the name of the game becomes number one, education and number two, compliance, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, you can, it's like, they're fundamentals, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. they're, they are rather simple in nature. It's not complicated. But they're difficult for people. Compliance yes. is hard. Yes, That's why absolutely. I am a less is more person because I find that I would rather people be more consistent with a couple things and be really inconsistent with a bunch of things. So what's your process? And I'm just really curious. I want to know if like mad scientist yeah. for me, because yeah. I want to get people results. Yeah. As far as like, how do you educate them on, in your office on these things? Mm -hmm. How do you present the information? Mm -hmm. And then what's your process for compliance? Mm -hmm. You know, like as far as is it follow-up visits? Do they have a way to like stay in your orbit when they're not in your office? Like, yeah. um, what, what do you... What are you doing? What do you feel works in that area? What mm -hmm. doesn't work? Like, talk to me. Yeah, great questions. Um, so the first is just listening to people, right? You know, if we're talking about my experience of feeling really disempowered, it's, you know, people are already shut down when they first come in my office because they are expecting to be treated in the same way. Um, so really establishing a, a much more compassionate doctor-patient relationship is really important. Um, I need them to trust me, but I also want them to understand that they know their bodies more than I do. Um, so there's like that dynamic that I set up. And then I, I educate the hell out of my patients. You know, I explain to them about their adrenals. I explain to them what their liver pathways do. And maybe it's too much information for some people, but people really like to actually learn about their bodies or, you know, if I do recommend something like, well, why, you know, I'm a very much of a why person. And I think that the more that I can educate someone about what's happening in their body and why I'm treating them the way that I am, the more that they're going to be compliant because they get it, um, which I love. Um, in terms of, you know, compliance, it's hard, you know, these, like you said, these therapies aren't complicated, but they're difficult to initiate and they're difficult to, to sustain. Um, and I, I never ask my patients for perfection. I say, these are our goals. This is how I think we're going to get there. Um, and I just say, you know, give me at least eight weeks. Like I like to put a, like a time frame on something. I think that's helpful for people to have an endpoint, um, just at least until I get them to a follow-up. Um, and then I'm also a little bit of a tough love and maybe this is my East coast attitude, but you know, I can't, I can't care about them more than they care about themselves. And I think as a provider, especially in like the, you know, more natural world, like we want so badly to do all of the things for our patients, but you can't do more than they are willing to give. Um, and I tell my patients who struggle, I'm like, listen, like we can alter, you know, maybe dial it back a couple steps, but I need you to do this. And I can't heal you, only you can heal you. I'm just giving you suggestions and I'm giving you recommendations. So I really try to kind of give that autonomy and that ownership. And I find that that's really empowering for people, right? Because that's like the opposite of the experience that they've had. Um, and then, you know, then I set follow-ups. You know, I don't see people, you know, I usually give them like at least a couple months in between visits because it takes time. I'm easy to get a hold of through my patient portal if they need me. So it's not like, here's a thing, see you later, you can't talk to me. Um, I would say generally I have really good compliance with my patients. Not everyone, but a vast majority, yes. Because I will be on I will be on their asses if they don't. Because <laughs> I tell them, like, I don't want to waste your time and your money if you're not going to do or at least try what I'm recommending. Take it or leave it. And again, maybe that's a personality type that I have, but I have pretty good patient compliance. Well, and also you want to keep your, keep your success rate high, right? Right. 
Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, if someone isn't compliant, it's not necessarily like, I'm not going to sit there and like shame and blame them. I'm going to say, okay, like, what are the barriers, right? Like, let's dial it back. How can we, you know, make this more accessible for you? Um, And I try to work with them because it's, you know, not everything works for everybody in terms of treatment plans. Um, Some people can forget. I make them charts. You know, it's like, how can I help you to implement this? What other resources do you need? Like, do you need, you know, a counselor? Do you need a nutritionist to do meal planning for you? Like, what? how can I help you? Um, And I find that that also gives people a sense of ownership of like, okay, now I'm identifying the things that aren't working for me, but I'm now like participate in figuring out what does work for me. And again, that's the empowerment aspect of it. I, I love it. And I, and I, and I wish more people practice like you. I know. So, Me too. <laughs> um, so just, just thank you for doing that. Cause that's, that's awesome. And the world needs more of that. Thanks. So um, the next thing I want to talk about, what are we doing on time here? Okay. So we still got time. That's fine. Um, I'm good. Yeah. Um, talk to me, but so I'm curious, I want to get into the powerlifting, but I also yeah. want to know, it sounds like yoga was the gateway drug for a lot of yoga this. Yoga was the gateway drug. Mm-hmm. Like how, you know, that was sort of like your first foray into anything that was non-conventional. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you picked up in Colorado? Was that something before? Um, I'd always done a little bit of yoga here and there, but I didn't really kind of like get into it until I came out to Colorado because it's Colorado and this is just what people do here. So... <laughs> And so at what point does the, the powerlifting enter the picture? Yeah. So I started powerlifting when I was in med school because I was stressed out all the time and there wasn't enough yoga in the world to like chill out my nervous system. Um, so I started lifting weights. I had like gone to some exercise classes and I was like, man, I really like lifting weights. So, um, so I started lifting weights and I just, I loved it. It was humbling. Um, it was a good way after like, you know, a stressful week or the beginning of a stressful day just like go and lift some stuff, um, like grunt and listen to like ragey music. Um, so, so I started lifting weights and it's funny because the way I got into competing was, um, I was at a gym in Portland. I was at like a 24 hour fitness and there was this like older lady who came up to me and she's like, you're really strong. And I think like for like a big box gym crowd, I was probably strong. Um, and she's like, have you ever thought about like competing? And I was like, I've never once thought about that. Um, and so she's like, you should go compete. And I was like, okay. So I like, you know, started and she meant powerlifting, not bodybuilding. Yeah. Powerlifting. Yeah. No, no, I, I don't, I don't do the bodybuilding. That's not for me. Um, so, but she meant like powerlifting and I was like, okay. So I like, I went and I hired a powerlifting coach and started competing and just loved it. And it's hard, <laughs> but it's fun. So, <laughs> and I've just been competing ever since, um, you know, one or two times a year. Okay. And yeah. like what, cause I've, you know, I dabble, I dabble. You dabble. Yes. It's I know fun. you dabble. I don't think that like I could do just like be the entire focus of my workouts. I would, I would, um, I don't know. I would just go nuts. How do you, yeah, how do you stay good. dipped in it, committed to it? Cause I know there's days when it sucks. There's days like there's injuries. Yeah regression of like, man, six months ago, I could lift this and now it's not happening. And yeah. Yeah. So I have a coach, um, my coach now he's actually in Portland, but I forgive him because he's great. Um, he's Ryan Sills. Um, I know, you know him, Ben. Um, 
so I've been working with him for a couple of years and he programs for me. So it's one less thing that I have to think about. Um, he just gives me a program. He tells me what to do for exercises and reps and on what days. So it takes a lot of that thinking out. Um, and for me, it's like, yeah, some days really suck. And you're like, I feel really weak. I can't do it. I don't want to be here. But, you know, I have a very high sense of discipline, I think, at this point. And it's even if I don't have a lot to give, I'm going to show up and do it anyways, because I always feel better after I do. And, you know, being a strength athlete and seeing, you know, from a personal and professional standpoint, how important uh, strength training is, um, that also keeps me really motivated. And I do have a lot of patients find me or come and see me because I am an athlete. And that keeps me motivated, too where it's like what I'm doing for my own stuff definitely reverberates out. Um, and people are like, wow, that's really cool. Maybe I'll do that too. And so what's your training regimen look like as far as like number of days a week you work out, how long the workouts are? Yeah, I only, I lift three days a week, um, which is plenty in the powerlifting world. Um, I train for maybe like an hour and a half, two hours each um, session. I've had to, you know, adjust how long I lift for in various days just to kind of get around my work schedule. Um, you know, at the end of the week, I don't have a lot to give because um, I'm tired from being in the clinic. So I do a little bit less that day. Um, and then, of course, I still practice yoga and I still do my hiking and I try to get my walking in and all of that. Um, but in terms of like actual gym time, probably about like six to eight hours a week. Okay. Wow. Which is okay. a lot, honestly, you know, when you run a full-time medical practice. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I train like four times a week for about an hour and I feel yeah. like that's about all I got. Yeah, exactly. I just show up with what I have and, you know, I, I'm in good communication with my coach and I say like, this is working or I'm exhausted. I can't do this. Like, what do we need to rearrange? And, you know, you mentioned in terms of like, you know, it would be hard for you to kind of like train for the same thing all the time. It's the way that he programs for me isn't boring. I'm not doing like the same exact thing each week. Um, so it keeps it, it keeps my brain busy um, because I would get bored otherwise. Okay. Mm -hmm. And how do you stay like injury free? I mean, I've had injuries, um, you know, but I would say at least from like a vegan plant-based standpoint, I tend to heal pretty fast. And I have a chiropractor, which is delightful. So um, I see him like once a month and he just makes sure that I'm not rotating my, you know, back or hips in a weird way. And I've been, since I started seeing him, I've been pretty minimal for injury, injuries. So thank you to your kind. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So what I want to do next is, you know, we got a lot of people that listen to this show. Mm -hmm. Um, that are struggling out there, you know, mm -hmm. they're really not getting the help that they need from the medical system. Mm -hmm. You know, they're starting to entertain the idea that, oh, maybe if I, you know, put something different in my face hole, like mm -hmm. things might get better. Mm -hmm. um, what's, what's, you know, like they're probably not getting listened to, you know, they're really struggling. They probably mm -hmm. to some degree feel marginalized of like mm -hmm. being told it's all in your head. Maybe it's anxiety, you know, here, just go on birth control. Mm -hmm. a million other things like that. If you could just like wrap with one of them one-on-one, -on -one, like what would you, what words of encouragement or what words of wisdom would you have for someone in that situation? Yeah, I think the really important aspects of this is, um, is advocating for yourself, right? Don't take no or don't take a dismissal as an answer. Um, and it's one thing that I, I do with a lot of my patients and I actually have to kind of coach them of like, here are the words that I need you to say to your primary care so that they will run this thing and have it covered by insurance, right? So a lot of it is is feeling empowered enough to, in, to advocate. And if you feel like you're not getting the care that you need, then either finding someone else or giving that practitioner feedback. 
Um, I've had actually a few patients where I've taught them how to advocate um, and their primary cares, I think, take a little bit of an ego hit. And then they realize that they haven't been, you know, providing the care that, that they need to. And then they do better. Um, so you kind of just have to call people out on their bullshit. <laughs> is really what it is. And it's like, you know, like, I still don't feel well, this is not working for me. I don't understand, you know, if you can't help me, help me find someone who can. And when you're really direct like that, people are like, Oh God, like I got to get my act together as a provider. Um, so advocacy, huge. I teach a ton of my patients how to advocate. Like I literally write down buzzwords, like here are the words I need you to say for them to take you seriously. And I hate that I have to do that, but it works. Um, and then educating yourself, right? Like, you know, you don't have to be a doctor to understand a lot about medicine. Just because someone is a doctor doesn't mean they know anything about medicine. They're just good at memorizing things and taking tests. It doesn't mean that they're good, at, you know, that they're a good provider. So the more that you can educate yourself, the better. Find other people who are struggling too and, and kind of, you know, combine forces and see, you know, what resources do they have and expand your network and ask questions, right? Be, be a pain in a butt, like be a pain in the butt. Like it sucks to have to do that, but it works. I, I I love that advice. And you said something I also want to touch on, which I think is like super crucial, mm -hmm. um, is that just because they're a doctor doesn't mean they know anything. It mm -hmm. just means that they're good at memorizing information True. and taking tests. We got to talk yep. about that. Yeah. That's, that's a huge one. So what's going yeah. on there? Yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, anyone could probably be a doctor if they can memorize a bunch of facts and write, you know, bubble in a bunch of things on a test. They, you know, not everyone understands how to think. Um, or critically think and not everyone, you know, will take, you know, a second or a step back and, and actually, you know, look at an individual or look at a, a set of symptoms and labs and actually try to put together a full fledged thought. Right. So there are plenty of people who are not in the medical field who are so much smarter than doctors. I have 11 year olds as a patient who is so much smarter. He, I have to tell you about this kid. He was the best. We were talking about food and he said, I don't understand why they keep putting sugar and all this processed stuff in food. And I was like, yeah, me neither. <laughs> so, you know, so we had a good conversation about that. Like people, people are smart and they don't have to be doctors to be smart. And just because you're a physician does not mean that you have the answers. And, uh, and I say that as someone who's a doctor, I don't always have all the answers and I want people to question me and I want people to call me out and say, well, I heard this, or I read this, like, what do you think? Can we have a conversation about it? Like doctors are not gods. We are people some of us are much better than others. Um, and some of them are just like in the, like just a, a peg in the cog, just like spinning around. Here's the algorithm. That's it. Right. So, yeah. I, it, it, yeah, I think people need to know that it's like, and I think they, more and more people are learning it the hard way. Unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. Um, and yeah, like you and I did. And so it's like, if we can, educate people on that. And, and I, and I, and I think that, yeah, I think like you said, it is the medical system is very disempowering and people almost go to it for that. Cause they're like, Oh, come, come mm -hmm. fix me. Like I'm going to give my power to you only to find that there's really it's, nothing going on there. No, it's abusive is what it is. I mean, and it's just, it's such a gross power dynamic that exists. And some people are just still, still in that where they believe that um, either from, from their upbringing or whatever else. And, you know, I, I really find that the more that we can get people to just think for themselves, um, the better chance they're going to have with finding a provider who's going to suit their needs. You know, isn't it, I'm sure there's like some quote somewhere is like the, you know, 
the revolution is all about like trying to teach people to think for themselves, something like that. Um, I don't know what it is, but um, it's power, you know, it's powerful to think for yourself. So, I mean, where do you see things going? I mean, it, it, it definitely seems like, especially with, with COVID, mm -hmm. there was a backlash of all these like, you know, crazy things that they wanted people to engage in and experimental mm -hmm. drugs. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden you got to wear this thing on your face and like, mm -hmm it got pretty, and a lot of people went, whoa, that's, that's mm -hmm. a lot, you know, like mm -hmm. AARP is pushing its eighth shot. And like a lot yeah. of people are like eight, yeah. really, you know, yeah. Like yeah. somewhere along the line after two or three, they were like, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and I feel like some degree they overplayed their hand, mm -hmm. you know, um, do you see a shift? Have you noticed a shift? Very in, much so. Yeah, yeah, people are not into it. They're over it. Um, they are like, wow, like I got these things and now I all of this stuff happened or, you know, and it's just, I think people are really starting, at least in my patient population, so which is probably biased, but people are like, this has not been the way, right? Like, what can I do to actually like be healthy and be, do preventative medicine and heal myself? Um, people are just not having it anymore, which is great which is great. And, you know, a lot of my patients, I see a lot of, you know, side effects of, you know, the various things people have put in their bodies and, you know, not that I try to give them a lecture about it, but I ask questions so that they can arrive at their own conclusions. And like, you can see the light bulbs, you know, over people's heads of like, Oh, now I understand the timeline of things that have happened. That's interesting. I say that a lot. I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think there's a shift. I really do. And I think people are realizing that there's so much more to health um, than just, you know, some things that we're trying to being coerced to do. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you talk about the timelines of things, is it not related to that, but mm -hmm. I had, I had a patient a couple of weeks ago who uh, came to me with back pain and she's like, and sometimes it really it goes down to my tailbone and hurts there. And, you know, it started about six months ago and, uh, had gotten worse recently and I was like, oh, so like, because she couldn't articulate any sort of like inciting incident that caused mm -hmm. it just kind of came on gradually. And I was like, oh, tailbone, have you ever like fallen on your butt or anything like that? And she's like, oh, well, actually, you know what? I did fall down my butt and slide all the way down the stairs and the whole my whole lower back and butt were like really bruised, mm -hmm. really bad. And I was like, oh, when was that? Oh, about six months ago. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I mean, I tell people all the time, the body doesn't do anything for no reason, right? And it's like, if you're a really good investigator, and I'm very picky about chronology, I go, I go back to the beginning. I'm like, were you C-section or vaginal birth? Were you breastfed or not? What's your microbiome doing? Like, I go all the way back. And it's like, the more that I can establish a timeline and a pattern, people, they kind of figure it out themselves, which is what I like. I want people to understand why their body is doing something. It's not something that has, you know, just erupted out of nowhere it's just been a sequence of events and once you can help them identify that again this kind of goes back to the compliance thing once people see what is happening they're much more willing to like go and do the work to fix all of it love it love it i i like i said we need more people practicing like you do i try i try my best <laughs> so this has been an awesome conversation any any last words of wisdom you want to leave with us before we sign off here? Gosh, I don't know. I, I think, you know, my, my whole shtick is just like be empowered, like have your own body autonomy, you know, be really informed about what your body is doing, what all of your options are. Um, and then the other part of all this is that healing takes time. And I think that that's like a really big 
point to make that we haven't really covered yet is, you know, I don't see any acutes. That's not, that's not my jam. Um, I see people have been sick for a long time and, and I have to tell them that if you want to heal long-term and sustainably, it is going to take time, but the body can do it if you just give it the right terrain or the right opportunity to do so. So I think it's really changing a mindset of, you know, there's not a quick, simple fix, but there's a long-term sustainable fix as long as you're a little bit patient about it. Love it, Dr. K. Thank you so much to everybody listening. Uh, make sure you share this episode if you liked it. Um, where can people follow you on social media? Yeah, so I don't use my um, Instagram page a lot for professional stuff, but it's at Colorado Nature Doc. Um, you're welcome to follow me on there. Sometimes I say fun things, sometimes I don't. I always say that I put my energy towards my patients um, than social media. You're way better at that. I don't have the like energetic capacity for that. Um, but that's how you can find me. Um, again, my clinic is called Rocky Mountain Natural Medicine. It's in Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, so you can always find me there. And um, I really like doing podcasts and teaching. It's something I, I feel like I'm really good at. So if anybody else wants to talk to me or interview me, let me know. All right. Awesome. Thank you.